first and then we're going to have a sermon and then we'll worship again maybe and we have an offering in there and announcements and um, an idea that the this is, these are all different pieces of the service and, and in some senses they are but really uh, I want to encourage you to think about the entire service as, as worship but we are going to focus a little bit this morning on the singing piece now I happen to know that there are some of you when you come in here on a Sunday morning and um, you, you, you probably hope that you get here a little bit late Maybe if you get here late enough, you won't have to sing at all. Or if you get here a little late, you don't have to sing a lot. And it may be because you're just not a big fan of music, period. And you drive in your car, you don't have any tunes on in the car. It's just not your thing. And somebody asks you, what's your favorite genre of music? And they, they, you say, well, I don't even know what a genre is, and I don't really care about music. And so you don't really care for, or maybe you like music, but you don't like the kind of music we do or the particular songs that we do. So you could skip that altogether and that would be just, just fine for you. There's, there may be some of you that don't really like the singing part because, um, and I, I've talked to a couple of you about this, um, so I know this is true, that you can't sing all of the songs because um, you're, you haven't arrived yet to a place where the lyrics describe. And so, for example, uh, take an old hymn like, I Surrender All. And you're like, I haven't surrendered all. I, I, I'm not there yet. I can't sing that, all to Jesus I surrender. Maybe someday I'll get there and I can sing that. So for you, it's a matter of integrity. You don't really like to sing all of these songs because they, if they speak about you and, and the perfections of your heart, you're not really there yet. There are others of you that would just as soon skip the sermon. You love the singing part. You love the, the worship part. and you, You're all about that, and you can't wait till the sermon's over so we can get to the music part again because you, 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 you just enjoy that. Maybe you're a big musician yourself. You love to really belt out the songs. Maybe you've heard the songs on the radio, and, and so they've become familiar to you. And, of course, we all like to sing familiar songs, and we don't like to sing new songs so much. It's possible, though, that all of the kinds of people I've described would come, not sing or sing, and none of those folks actually worship. Because music, singing, is really not worship in and of itself. It's a vehicle for worship. There's a great danger. I mean, Jesus came into a world in which people claimed to worship, but they really didn't. And that's the verse I want to have us start with here. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Now, this is a quote from prophet Isaiah, not Jesus' original words. He's um, voicing the prophet. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. People who would say, I, uh, God, we worship you, we love you, we think awesome things about you because you're really awesome but their heart's not there. It's, it's fake. And so, for example, you, you could really be singing out lustily during our worship, worship time, and yet you're preoccupied with the fact that your eagles are going to lose to the Redskins this afternoon. I mean, unimportant things, right? You're, you're preoccupied with that project at work that you have that is due Wednesday, 
But there's no way you can get it done Wednesday. You're trying to figure out who you can recruit to help you finish this job. Or maybe you're preoccupied with, with planning. Our, our dear sister Dawn Jones lost her dad on Friday. Maybe she's preoccupied with planning a, a memorial service. I mean, there's a lot of things, both important and important, uh, unimportant, that have the potential to invade our time where God is looking. He's, a, he's on his throne ready and desirous to receive our worship, and we're elsewhere. Really, worship is all about God's worthiness to, to be admired and to be praised. The word worship comes from this word worth. And let me just show you a couple of verses in, in uh, Revelation, starting in chapter 4, that speak about God's worth. These are uh, proclamations by the four living creatures and the 24 elders that are surrounding God's throne today and that one day we'll get to, to see. Revelation 4, last uh, book in the Bible, verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. And then he explains why he's thinking about God having this worth. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you please. Next chapter. Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb. So now they're, they're making a fuss over Jesus. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. By example and by admonition, the whole Bible nags us to worship God, to declare his perfections and his glory and his attributes and his work and his magnificent, to tell him how wonderful he is. He desires it. He seeks it. The book of Psalms especially is a, um, a book that uh, admonishes us and by example teaches us to praise God, to thank him, to worship him. I just pulled these out by random from, uh, from the um, book of Psalms. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, different reference. You are more glorious, speaking of God, you are more glorious and more majestic than the everlasting mountains, different reference. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. It is interesting that God has given an entire book of the Bible, in fact, the longest book of the Bible, filled with nothing but songs. The book of Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S, is a book of songs, mostly written by King David, some written by Asaph and uh, Solomon, and there's even one in there by Moses, but all written to be sung. In fact, there's a little word that you'll see in your Bible. Um, Brooke and Austin named their little girl after it, Selah. Do you know what Selah is? Me neither. But we do know that it is some kind of musical notation because the Psalms were meant to be sung. And, and it, seems, it seems as if God delights in music. I mean, we see the picture in heaven in the book of Revelation that we're singing 
<clears throat> used to be that people would say, well, this is all we're going to do in heaven. We're going to sing. And the people who hate music go, nope, anything but that. We're going to sing in heaven. We're going to do a lot of other things, but we are going to sing in heaven. God has given us this wonderful gift as a, a, a vehicle to provide, uh, to express our admiration of him, our thanks to him, our praise of him, for surely he is worthy of it all. Well, Luke chapter 1, if you want to find that a while, it's going to be our main text this morning. We're going to look at Mary's song of praise, her worship song. So let me pray for us, and then we'll read, uh, read this together. Father, I, you have created us to be worshipers. That's why you made us. You didn't just make us to walk around, to have jobs, to get married, have families, to take vacations. You made us to be first and foremost worshipers for your own purposes. John Piper reminds us missions exist because worship doesn't. In other words, where there are not worshipers, there must be mission. And once once all have become worshipers, the mission ends for this is your great goal. And what a wonderful gift. Some of us really don't care for music all that much, and yet music has so much power to uh, put in poetic form and convey with this, uh, with this harmony of the soul um, our acclaim for you, who you are, what you've done. And as we look over Mary's shoulder this morning and listen to her Magnificat, this worship song, may you teach us a few things about worship so that today we might uh, um, leave this place with a little better understanding and a little bit more interest in being worshipers, both as we assemble with the body and alone. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning, that he would be our mobilizer this morning, that he would be the one who calls us to worship. For Jesus' sake, amen. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. <clears throat> Last week we read about the angel meeting with Mary and explaining to her what was going to happen with this little baby that she was going to have. And as confirmation of the power of God, he told her that her relative Elizabeth, we're not sure how they were related. Perhaps Mary was the niece and Elizabeth the aunt, much older than her. But Elizabeth has a, is pregnant now and has, is going to have a baby, even though she's perhaps upper 60s, early 70s. And Mary goes to see Elizabeth and um, six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, um, Mary would be three months pregnant at this point, and Elizabeth is so excited to see Mary, not just because she's her relative and enjoys her company, but because she knows there's something miraculous taking place in both of their bodies. And in fact, when Mary shows up in the room, uh, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy because there is a supernatural understanding that uh, Mary is carrying the Messiah. And this is the song that Mary um, responds with as they have met. 
Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. She's speaking about herself here. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows his mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones, brought down princes from their thrones, and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and set the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. This is worship. Now, we should acknowledge um, on a morning when we're talking about worship that worship is far more, far beyond just music or just singing. In fact, if we go to uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 this morning, it would argue that all of the life of one who follows Christ is a spiritual act of worship. Every step of obedience that you take and every step that you take can be and should be one of obedience. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so Paul says in Romans 12, 1, everything that you do, every act of obedience is your spiritual act of worship. So we understand that what we do in here for maybe 15, 20 minutes on a Sunday morning, that's not the end of worship. And hopefully it's not the end of your worship as you go about your life. And nevertheless, the root, I would argue that from Scripture, we have an understanding that the root of worship is expressing praise and gratitude to God, actually vocalizing it, whether it's said or whether it's sung. I want to try to take three um, points out of Mary's song this morning to help us in our own worship. And the first one is this, that worship is the result of an encounter with God, not necessarily an encounter with God. I think one of the mistakes that Christians can sometimes make today, especially in America where worship singing has become a very big deal, is that we come to church on a Sunday morning, we come to get together in a gathering like this, expecting to have an encounter with God and maybe expecting that to be a, an initial encounter with God or a repeated encounter with God. Think about it. Mary has this contact three months earlier with the angel Gabriel who, as he reminded Zechariah, I stand in the presence of God and I brought you this message from God. So in a very real sense, Mary had, through her contact with Gabriel, had an encounter with the living God. In other words, this song of expression here is not the encounter. It is the result of an encounter with God. And so, for example, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not going to have a worship encounter here no matter how well you know the songs or enjoy their melodies because you haven't had that prior encounter with God. This is why Jesus could say about the people around him in the, in the day he was here on earth, many of them Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Singing a song with great vigor is not necessarily a worship encounter. That has to begin the encounter that you have with Jesus Christ, putting your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that initial encounter. But we should also say that you could be a Christian and come here Sunday morning, Sunday, a week in and week out, and not really have an encounter with God because you don't have ongoing encounters with God personally, privately, apart from this time. You go home today and you put your Bible on the coffee table or by, the, by your bedside or in your office or wherever it is you keep your Bible, and you don't touch it between now and next week. You don't have a time where you get alone, uh, away from your family, and you have some time just between you and the Lord where you're praying, and you are worshiping God privately and personally. Maybe it's just through prayer. Maybe it is through music. I have a hymnal that sits on the corner of my desk, and, and some mornings I'll just open that up and start paging through and, and singing songs back to the Lord of praise. Those are the kinds of things, those are the encounters that lead you here so that when you sing with the gathered body, you actually do worship God. But you you cannot have an encounter here if you have not already had an encounter with God. Don't expect music to ignite an encounter with God. Music is a carrier of worship, not necessarily a creator of worship. Second thing that I see in this passage, and let me take you back to verse 46. Mary says, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. And then that line, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Make this point. Worship is rooted in a gospel heart. Worship is rooted in a gospel heart. And the initial thing that all of us have to learn We came to Christ, we had to learn that we are at odds with God. That we have sinful hearts, and because of that, we are at odds with God. The first sinful step that we took when we were little kids put us at odds with God. Now that, when you talk to somebody who doesn't know Christ, that is a difficult pill to swallow. Because by and large, we are being taught day in and day out, the culture is reminding us again and again that we are pretty much blank slates. And that we can go this way or that we can go that way. But that's not what the Bible says. David went so far in in, uh, Psalm chapter 51 to say, I'm, I'm sinful from the time I was conceived. I, I am in my raw nature a bad dude, and I can't change it by myself. The, the powerlessness, the first piece of the gospel that we have to understand is that I am bad and I, and I am powerless to do anything about it. And you see so many indications here of, uh, of Mary that she needs, she needs someone to save her. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She is a a person who came from humble origins. Verse 52, he has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. She was thinking at least in part about herself. He's filled the hungry with good things. I'm assuming she came from a poor, impoverished background. It's probable that she knew something about hunger. Gospel roots. And listen, 
If our worship is not shaped by gospel roots, the next bad thing that happens to you and I will drive us off the rails. Uh, front man for the heavy metal band Motley Crue, which is kind of an old band by now, his name is Vince Neal, said this, I lost my faith in God when I lost my daughter to cancer, the beast. I begged, I cried, I offered my life for hers, and day by day I watched that beautiful little angel slip off. So excuse me for not taking my seat next to you on Sunday in church. I feel too cheated to worship. And my guess is that most of us here can think of things that have happened to us that make us want to say, God, I don't want to worship you. You say I'm supposed to uh, name and acclaim you and speak of your fame and how wonderful you are, and this happened to me? You let that happen? You stood by while that happened? You see, our worship will go south quickly if the root of our worship is not the gospel. And conversely, when all those things start to go south and the root of our worship is the gospel, everything changes. Because we realize that we have no right to be so blessed as we have been blessed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No right. It's all of grace, gift of God. And so when that becomes central, our worship is driven down deep in good, good soil so that when the winds come and they blow us here and there and this happens and that doesn't happen and oh, this happens, we can still say, it is well with my soul. God, you are good. My heart is breaking. I, I'm, I'm hurting deeply, but you are good and you are glorious. And I'm going to see my daughter again one day because she knows Christ and I know Christ. It is well with my soul. Mary's depicting herself as hopeless. I see my Savior. She's depicting herself as nobody. He took notice of me, and I will be called blessed. I had nothing. I was humble. I was hungry, and God has raised me up. Worship is rooted in a gospel heart. You know the song we sang this morning? You know how much I love that. My chains are gone. It's from that wonderful song, Amazing Grace which, interestingly enough, uh, a lot of churches, as they have changed their hymnals, have changed the wording in that song. Amazing grace, how sweet that sound, the sound that saved a pretty good guy like me. What's it say? That saved a what? Wretch. Saved a wretch like me. You see, that doesn't play well in 2016 America. I'm not a wretch. I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than this person. I'm trying to pump up my self-esteem. No, 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 no. You want self-esteem, you don't want a gospel. Because in the gospel, 
Who we are, who we aren't, doesn't make any difference. When Christ comes into the life, we have Christ esteem. Saved a wretch like me. And because he did, he made me, he made you a son, a daughter of the living God. I mean, if that doesn't bump up esteem, I don't know what does. Heir to a spiritual fortune. All right. Worship doesn't create. Right. Singing doesn't create this worship. We, we have an encounter with God, and then we come and worship. Worship is rooted in a gospel heart. And the last thing I see in this, I, I just love this. I was reading along. I've read this many times. I was reading along the other week, and I bumped into this in verse 54 and 55. I'm like, I never saw that before. She's talking about herself and all these cool things that God is doing in her life. He has, he has made her somebody, even though she was a nobody. She's, he's filled her with good things. And then in verse 54, all of a sudden, she's now speaking not just for herself, but for all of Israel. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Last point, worship isn't just from me to him, but it's from us to him. Worship isn't just from me to him, it's from us to him. Now, when I'm in my study during the week and I have my Bible open, I might have my hymnal open, and I'm, I'm talking to God, it's, it's just me and him. But Sunday morning, I come in here and I get to gather with brothers and sisters and we join our hearts and our minds and our voices to proclaim God's goodness together. And I find it so fascinating. Here's this woman who has been chosen by God for this great honor, and she's, she's just amazed at how, God, how good God is being to her. And yet in the midst of it, she recognizes, oh, this is God's goodness to all Israel. She's remembering in these moments not just her good fortune, but the fulfillment, what God told Abraham, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. You're going to make your name great. You're, you're going to have a lot of offspring, a, a lot of descendants. And then verse 3, and all nations of the world, all peoples of the world be blessed through you. In other words, the child that comes through your descendants, Abraham. One day, all the world will be blessed by you. And Mary's view of God is not so tunnel vision that she can only see this relationship she has with God but she's reminded that she is part of all Israel and all Israel is being blessed and through Israel all nations are being blessed one of the tragedies of Israel was that they lost sight of the individual Those, you look back at the Old Testament and uh, you, see, you see people thinking that they are um, good with God, they're good in his sight by virtue of the fact that they have Jewish blood r running through their veins. In fact, let me, uh, don't turn there, but I'm going to just read a verse here out of Romans chapter 2, uh, verse 28. Paul says, you are not a true Jew because you were born of Jewish parents, or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. 
And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. So the problem that Israel had was a, a problem of uh, thinking that by virtue of being part of the group, they're good. Now, we, this side of the cross, seem to have the opposite problem. Israel thought that by being part of the group, they're good. In today's world, in today's Christianity, at least I think in America, it's harder and harder and harder for us to think as the group. As the new Israel of God, as we read the other week in Galatians 6. That it's, I don't just have a relationship with God, but I have a relationship with these people around me, and we have a relationship with God. Corporately, jointly. That's why it is so special when we do get together and sing praises and worship to God together. Now, I, I hope that when you come, even if, listen, even if you can't sing worth a lick, the Bible doesn't say sing perfectly. Well, it does for those who are leading. It says sing skillfully and play skillfully. That has, that's pretty important. But it also says make a joyful what? Noise. And some of you, the best you can do is noise. And that's awesome expression of your worship and your praise to God by the way good news a change is coming you get to heaven you're going to be able to sing like a lark there's no noise in heaven everybody has perfect pitch in heaven I'm pretty sure that's the way it's going to be especially for those of us who, who, who like music I would be rough if we still have the noise there. But here, the noise is awesome. So, hope, hope that you sing here. In a, um, Bill Maher, one of today's greatest theologians, right? Do you know who Bill Maher is? Comedian? Take your pulse. Are everybody here? Okay, Bill Maher. Bill Maher says, and he says, let's face it, God has a big ego problem. Why do we always have to worship him? Now, he says this tongue-in-cheek because Bill Maher is an atheist, doesn't believe in God, but he loves to mess with Christians. So he says to you and I, if you're a Christian, he says, your God has got an ego problem. He asks you to praise him and tell him how wonderful he is, how awesome he is. What's your problem? What's your God's problem? How many of you have ever uh, seen the Grand Canyon? First time you saw the Grand I haven't seen it yet, uh, except from 30,000 feet. Um, that's a pretty big hole in the ground, isn't it? Stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon for your first time. W what do you feel? Wonder, right? It's, it's awe-inspiring. It, it makes an impression on you. I was in... Uh, Cairo eight years ago, nine years ago, at the pyramids at Giza. And I, I wish uh, I could have been there alone or just with Betty because it was so awe-inspiring. You know, tourists running around everywhere, climbing over the rocks. Hey, take a picture of me. Like, go home. 
I, I love history, and so I, I wanted just to savor looking at these massive feats of ancient primitive engineering and just think about how they pulled this off and they've survived the elements, you know, for four and a half millennia. I wanted just to be there to be impressed alone. Justin Bieber. Madison Square Garden the other night. People paid $100, $200, $300, $400 for tickets to see Justin Bieber. I, I don't know why, but and people say he can sing well. Do you know there's a, a video of his on YouTube that has 1.3 billion views? You think about that. There's seven, over 7 billion people in the, in the world. A sixth of them have seen Justin Bieber's video. Why? He impresses them. And when they leave the concert, they're going to be talking with all of their friends about how amazing Bieber's concert was. And if they got the chance, if they could get through the security failings, they would tell J Justin, oh, you're awesome. Oh, my goodness. You're an amazing singer. You're just an amazing performer. How wonderful you... If these people and these things are worthy of that kind of acclaim, how much more the God who created us and saved us, amen? How much more? If they are worth honor being paid to them, how much more the God who fashioned you in your mother's womb, who gave you life, whose very breath sustains your breath. If it were withdrawn this moment, you would cease to breathe. Who has called you out of darkness into light? Who has given you so many blessings that you don't deserve and I don't deserve? And in Christ has given us an inheritance. That is a God worthy of all your worship, all of my praise, and all of our thanksgiving. I challenge you when you read the scriptures in private time, keep a pen by your side and start to mark lines and words and phrases that trigger praise and worship and adoration of God. Sometimes our prayer lives are nothing more than God give me this, God give me that, God don't make sure this doesn't happen, make sure that doesn't happen. God seeks his own praise because he is the most worthy person in the universe. And I pray that your life individually and my life individually will become more and more worshipful and that the effect of that will be seen increasingly as we get together and worship and praise our living God. Father, thank you for Jesus. If you've given us no other gift but that, that'd be worth praising you for. If we'd have short life, poor health, loss of loved ones, but you gave us Jesus. You would be worthy of being praised.
In fact, even if you hadn't given us Jesus, you would be worthy of praise for who you are, for your character, for your conduct. Make us, Lord, individuals who are marked by worship. Make us a church marked by worship that you'd be exalted to the degree that you are worthy of. And truth be told, we look forward to the day when we get home and there are no distractions and our worship is as it could be and should be, finally.